Welcome to the 210th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Thomas Shawver, author of the Rare Book Mystery Series featuring the antiquarian bookseller Michael Bevan. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Tom Shawver author of the Rare Book Mystery Series featuring the character Michael Bevan. Shaver's book, The Widow's Son, is available as an ebook published by Penguin Random House. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Nice to be here. Great. Well, can you read the first two or three pages of The Widow's Son? I'd be happy to. Uh, this is from the prologue. June 27, 1844. Four Mormons resided on the second floor of the Carthage jail when the attack began. The mob crashed the door down, and Hiram Smith was the first to die, felled by five musket balls. Joseph fired six shots at his brother's killer, nearly severing the man's arm. More bullets and balls poured into the room from the hallway, missing Willard Richards, but winding John Taylor. Uh, Joseph rushed to the window, only to be greeted by a seething multitude of vengeful men below. In full-throated despair, the Mormon prophet cried out the Masonic symbol of distress. O Lord, my God, is there no help for the widow's son? Then bullets fired from the doorway struck him in the back so that he fell from the window. He landed on his shoulder and rolled over unconscious. One of the militia ran forward and pulled him against a well curb. Joseph Smith opened his eyes, but there was no light in them. Colonel Levi Williams of the Warsaw Militia ordered his men to shoot the damned rascal. Four men did their duty. The prophet was dead. When one of the killers stepped forward to cut off Smith's head with a bowie knife, the sun shone through the overcast sky for the first time that day, illuminating the yard. The butcher's hand froze. The four who had fired the killing shots dropped their muskets, and the fear of an angry god scattered the rest. Two nights later, a select group of saints met in the cellar of the temple to take a sacred oath. They called themselves Danites, the shock troops of the Nauvoo Legion. Sidney Rigdon, Porter Rockwell, Louis Dana, Bill Hickman, and Alonzo Stagg formed the sharp edge of a very bloody sword. Each had killed without fear of earthly or heavenly retribution those apostates who had fled from Mormonism and any Gentiles who dared challenge them. Each had served as personal bodyguards to the prophet. They had been bloodied on the Missouri Wars, and they would be bloodied again. In the flickering light of forty candles, they donned their special garments and sang a hymn of vengeance. When it ended, Sidney Rigdon, self-proclaimed protector of the church, held out a bucket containing slips of paper with the names of the traitors and said, here you go, boys. Take these men that you can't do anything with, but cut their throats and bury them. You'll be saving a wicked man's soul by spilling his blood on the ground like Joshua of old. Louis Dana picked the first slip. He nodded grimly when he read the name of his friend, Jonathan Dun Dunham, the fate of Frank Worrell, a jail guard who had let the mob pass through the front door belonged to Porter Rockwell. Bill Hickman selected Governor Thomas Ford, leaving Colonel Williams to be handled by Alonzo Stagg. But the latter insisted on trading with Hickman for the governor. As the men prepared to leave the cellar, Alonzo Stagg proclaimed, 
because it was I who was used by the villain to take our beloved lamb to slaughter, I will avenge the blood of the prophet in my lifetime, and I will teach my children to avenge the blood through the taking of the murderer's children, and then have them teach their children and children's children to the sixth generation, as long as there is one descendant of the murderers upon the earth. Sidney Rigdon clasped Alonzo in his arms and through manly tears declared, Thy will be done. Taking from the table his own Book of Mormon, one given him by Joseph Smith many years earlier, he inscribed something on the front page and dated it. And he silently handed it to Stagg, who accepted the gift with the solemnity of a vigilant soldier. Nearly two centuries later, three young men stood trembling before five caskets that held the bones of their ancestors. A sixth lay empty, awaiting the final avenger. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about The Widow's Son yet, how would you describe the novel? Well, it's, uh, it's a contemporary uh, mystery, uh, trying to determine um, how someone, one of these adventures, is going to kill a person. And that person is a woman named Natalie Phelan, who is a descendant of Governor Ford of Illinois, who was the uh, then governor uh, when San, when Joseph Smith Jr. was martyred. Um, the Nablu region, a lot of them blamed the governor for not taking action, uh, more action to, uh, to save Smith when he was in uh, the Carthage, Illinois jail. Um, that's pretty much it. It's a, it's a revenge story, and we have a bookman named Michael Bevan who, who uh, gets a Mormon Bible uh, presented to him, and it's, the, it's pretty much the, the Mormon Bible that's described there. Um, it came into his hands. It's very much like one when I had a bookstore in Kansas City that was presented to me. I couldn't afford to buy it. I wish I could have because it was, it was very valuable, very rare. And uh, it was the first edition, first state edition of, of the Mormon Bible. Well, well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing The Widow's Son and, and the other Michael Bevan mysteries? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I'd, I'd been an attorney for most of my career and, and was a journalist as well. And then uh, I was about to turn 50. I, uh, I was getting pretty frazzled with the law. I've been a trial lawyer, and it kind of wears one out after, over the years. And uh, I decided to to do something I really love to do, uh, surrounding myself with books. And so I opened a, a used bookstore, secondhand bookstore in my neighborhood. And I figured if it doesn't work after two years, I'll go back to practicing law. Um, I, as it turned out, I just loved it from the get go. I just I just loved doing this and um, had a lot of fun. And after 15 years, uh, the thing had played itself out. The Internet was taking over our sales, uh, and it was time to, to retire it. Uh, but I had time on my hands, and I had experience as a book dealer. And I took this character uh, who had run this used bookstore in a charming little uh, neighborhood in Kansas City and, and went with it. And I guess you can say the impetus uh, for this particular plot of The Widow's Son was when that guy came in and uh, uh, asked me to consider buying uh, this uh, first edition Book of Mormon with a very interesting inscription. Um, 
character, Michael Bevan, is kind of somewhat based on me. He's a former uh, Marine Corps uh, officer, a former attorney, um, that kind of thing. So I just kind of took the things I knew and put it into a series. And and given your knowledge of rare books, um, how much research do you end up doing when you're writing one of the Michael Bevan mysteries? Yeah, that's interesting. I I have a ton of books. I one of the subjects that I'm particularly interested in and collect are books about books and book collecting. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just kind of I'm a real bibliophile when it comes to that particular subject, and uh, uh, so I had tons of those already to research. And as a book dealer. Anytime somebody would bring one into the shop to trade or to sell to me, I'd grab it for myself. So I, I have a pretty extensive uh, research library on on rare books. Uh, the rest of it, after 15 years, I, you get to know the trade really well and, and some of the uh, interesting things that can occur. And it certainly isn't. It sounds like a little cozy atmosphere, and sometimes it can be downright uh, threatening. I, we've had people that... Uh, were stealing some pretty pretty important books that I brought back from Europe and and I, I had a young man who I was very close to who was uh, not killed in the bookstore but was murdered um, not too far away and um, so many fascinating characters that in the course of 15 years uh, frequented the bookstore uh, I just had a, a wealth of uh, stories to work with. Well, have you read have you read any other um, uh, rare book mysteries? I know that there are a few out there, uh, a oh, few different series, like the John Dunning, yeah, Cliff Janeway. Yeah, John Dunning, especially John Dunning. Um, he's uh, I, I've met him several times at the uh, Rocky Mountain Book Fair in Denver. Um, uh, yeah, John Dunning. I, I kind of patterned him, uh, my character, my stories on what he was doing. Uh, to differentiate what what I write from cozy mysteries. I mean, so many people think, well, it's about a bookstore. It's going to be a cozy. Well, it's it's far from that. Wow. Bevan has a cat, but his name is Feklar. And and if you know uh, Star Trek stuff, Feklar is the uh, the uh, demon of the universe. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things where there is some sex. There there is some real honoriness. There's uh, some real violence in my series and. So it's not a cozy. Sure. So, 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 what was the what was the experience like? I mean, you obviously had worked as an attorney, and then you had this um, stint as a bookseller and running a a, a, a book a used bookstore. What what was the experience like for you when you started to sit down and write a novel? Was it um, uh, was, did it come naturally? Was it something that you had to work at? What was that like? Yeah, yeah, it it. it it came naturally after 40 years of trying to get published. <laughs> it's uh, I've been writing ever since uh, truly junior high school when I first read uh, Lord Jim uh, by Conrad. Uh, it just uh, I've been working at it for years. I when I was in the Marine Corps, I wrote a, a novel. It's still yet unpublished, but which I still think was one of the better things I've done uh, based on my experiences uh, at Camp Lejeune at the tail end of the Vietnam War. Um, I'd always been writing. And when I was practicing law, I would get home from work. And after the kids went to bed, I'd go back up and upstairs and, and, and write. And I wrote four to five manuscripts, um, that still sit in a drawer. So I, 
over many, many years, uh, I've, I've been trying to be a writer and, and in trying to, uh, uh, get better at my craft. And even if I was never published, I'd still be writing. It's just part of my blood. Sure. So what was the path to publication, uh, for you to get the Michael Bevan mysteries published as, as ebook originals? That's a great question. I, I, uh, after I wrote the novel, I had it uh, edited. My wife is a former editor at the Kansas City Star. My son is a professor of creative writing at Park University. He has several novels published. I had them both edited. I um, I then paid a, a, an objective professional to to edit it as well because you just have to do it right when you submit when you're prepared to submit something. Rather than go through the um, submission via email, rejection, dance, I decided to go to Thriller Fest in New York City. And I cannot say enough about that conference. It is fantastic. Uh, and it was in July. We'll be going next uh, week again to the conference. This will be my fourth one. I've been but there several times. One, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that first one, I did the uh, speed dating type of thing where I, I pitched my my idea, my novel, my two-minute pitch to over 20 um, agents, good New York City agents. 14 of them asked for the manuscript, a complete manuscript, and the last person I saw was the agent who who chose me. Um, I waited a, an entire year, and I heard almost nothing from the agent. I didn't want to, I didn't want to bother, and uh, Literally, when my wife and I landed at LaGuardia to attend the second Thriller Fest, my phone rang, and it was my agent telling me that she got a three-book deal uh, with Penguin Random House. And I was able to meet my editor the next day at wow. the conference. So, That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was pretty much on cloud nine. That, that's great. Well, are you writing more Michael Bevan mysteries now? Well, that's, we're, we finished the series. I'm going to put him to, uh, on hold for a bit. Uh, we're going to start a new series. Um, I'm working on that now. I also went back and edited a, a former manuscript, which is a historical fiction based in uh, the 1920s in Micronesia and Japan, uh, featuring a, a Marine Corps spy who, who, based on an actual character who died. Uh, on the islands during that period in 1922, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited about it. I'm, I don't want to retire Bevan and and Josie Majantic, but I'm going to give it a rest. Uh, I've got an idea for a fourth in the series, but I'm going to go ahead with a third, a second series uh, right now, just to kind of cleanse the palate. Sure, sure. So, what what advice do you have for aspiring writers, given that what you described a, a few minutes ago that you have written manuscripts throughout your life and finally had this three book deal? I, you, you just follow your heart. You write, and you don't worry about uh, monetary considerations. If, if you're a writer, you're going to write. You can't help it. Um, just keep at it, but also get as much. Uh, professional objective advice as you do it. You're just wasting your time after you've finished your manuscript and you think it's God's gift to mankind. It, it isn't. It has to be reviewed by an objective professional. And sometimes that costs little money. 
but don't give it to a friend. I gave it to my wife and my son, but again, I, they're too close to you. They can be, they're total professionals, but again, you've got to get that objective advice and follow it until you get a, a, your own editor and, and to publish it. But if you're going to submit something, um, you've got to be completely, you've got to have a perfect product, as perfect as you can make it. Um, but keep at it. I mean, it's just, you don't have to tell writers who in their heart know what they are writers, even if they haven't been published. You just, you just do it. Yep. Gotcha. That's good advice. Well, are there books and authors that you've read in the last year or two that impressed you and that you would recommend, either fiction or nonfiction? Yeah, I uh, well, I, I just it's not the past year, but my favorite author uh, is uh, George MacDonald Fraser of the Flashman series. He's Brit. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but mm-hmm. just a marvelous uh, historical fiction series with. Uh, Harry Flashman, uh, based on a, a character from Tom Brown's School Days. He was the villain in Tom Brown's School Days. And he takes him through all, almost every war of the 19th century. He's a complete cad, coward, but he always ends up winning the Medal of Honor, the Victoria Cross. He was, he was I, a, I've, I've read the books. They're amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they really are. And, uh, and it's funny, and it's also great history. Um uh, Chandler, I can never get enough of Raymond Chandler, uh, Dashiell Hammett. Um, I like Lee Child a lot. I really do. I, I'm just amazed at how he can get into all this minutia and, and keep you enthralled. I, he, he just keeps you turning the pages. So I, I, I really like uh, his stuff. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. And, and Patrick O'Brien, uh, Bernard Cornwell, these are historical fiction writers. But uh, sure. those are some of the ones that I've been going back to this past year. Yeah, I, I interviewed Bernard Cornwell previously for the podcast, so uh, I'm I'm a big uh, fan of his Sharp series. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Tom Shawver, author of the Michael Bevan Mysteries, which we've been discussing, including The Widow's Son, which are available as ebooks. Um, the series is available as ebooks. So grab a copy now. And Tom, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Great. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.